0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Psalm 78, if you have your Bibles, we're going to get there at the end. Uh, What I want to do this morning is I want to look at a uh, particular name. Uh, Oh, there we go. Uh, which is Goel, uh, which is Redeemer. Uh, and just been super interested in this, uh, just the concept, uh, and as I'm getting down to these last few names of God in the series, uh, it's actually kind of a a grieving process, to be honest, uh, because I'm realizing there's so many great names and we don't have a lot of time. And so I've been, I've been having, like, I have this long list of, like, potential names and and I have the next three already scheduled. So this was like my last open spot. I'm like, okay, well, what, how are we going to leverage this? And I was just somehow drawn to this idea. And I want to walk through this. I just think this is such a beautiful concept, talking about the fact that throughout Scripture, our God is called a Redeemer. And obviously it uh, magnifies in the person of Jesus Christ. You recognize that as humans, we we are in desperate need for redemption. Uh, that because of the fall, right, and because of our own willingness to choose sin, we we have literally given ourselves over to the power of darkness. Uh that that we have that we are enslaved, <clears throat> that we are chained to sin. In fact, just to set a table of of kind of the problem itself, uh, listen to what Paul says in Romans. In Romans three twenty-three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And and you know the word that in Greek the word all means all. So there are no exceptions to this. Every single one of us are, are lacking. All, all, every single one of us have fallen short. Every single one of us are, are marked by sin. So Paul says in Romans 7:14, I am fleshly having been sold into bondage under sin. That when when I give myself unto sin, do you realize I have sold myself into slavery? Which becomes really important in this context because we're gonna be talking about redemption uh, and this idea of buying back from sin. But do you realize that because of my purposeful choosing of sin, that I have really sold myself in the slavery? Uh, I have chained myself to sin and death. In fact, in Romans 6:6, 6, 6, Paul says, he's talking about the positive of this. But he says, but knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So he's given, he's given the solution, right? In the passage, Jesus is our solution. And if I embrace Jesus, I no longer have to be a slave to sin. But if I can just flip it really quick, just to, again, set the problem, we are slaves to sin, that we are in bondage to sin and to death. And as we know, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And and just like you go to your employer and demand that you get paid, right, at the end of your the season, whether it's every two weeks or every month, right? You're like, hey, I I need my wage, right? I I worked, I I demand my wage. In a similar sense, when I give into sin, there is a demand for that wage, and the end result of that is death. So we have a serious problem as humanity right? That we have not only had because of the fall with Adam and Eve, but we ourselves have chosen sin and we have rebelled against God and we have shook our fists in his face. And because of all this, we are now slaves unto sin, which then begs the question Then, okay, we need redemption. But then here's the question. (laughs) What is redemption? Uh, have you ever had one of those topics as you've been studying it out? It seems that as you as you study it, it seems to grow. And you're like, okay, now I'm actually more confused. Uh, it's actually amazing. I, You know, we, around here, we talk about the gospel. We talk about redemption. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about salvation all the time. And so I, I at least have a working understanding of redemption. And it was interesting as I was studying through it, I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, Lord, I actually feel like this is far more complex than I thought it was. And there are still some things I'm still now trying to figure out because as I was working through it, I started making these questions like, okay, I don't get how this works then. Okay, I don't understand how that works. And, and yet I want to just at least talk about it broadly. That make sense? I feel like it's one of those things that we could probably talk about forever. I was talking to Sandy, uh, I think it was Sunday, and she was asking some questions about something that she's been studying and she's like, Nathan, I've studied this for dec, you know, like a decade, and yet I feel like I have no idea what I'm talking, you know, like I, this is so big. And she's talking, I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. You know, cause I'm like, this thing keeps getting bigger, you know, and as it's one of those beautiful, majestic things, I guess, about the gospel, that as you dive into certain topics, they just get richer and better and deeper and simpler and yet more complex. That's where I feel like we're in the middle of all this. So that being said, instead of me trying to give a definition, I went to a dictionary. (laughs) So here's the here's the Lexan Bible Dictionary on the word redemption. I figure this is at least a simple definition. So redemption, it is the release of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of a price. And there are two Hebrew root words associated with redemption. One is ga'al, meaning to redeem, or to act as a kinsman redeemer, which is the go'el which is our word, by the way, and pada, which means ransom or redeem. So think about this. We have literally given ourselves unto uh, sin, right, as slaves, that we are in bondage. So the idea of redemption, then, this idea of a redeemer, is this idea of actually to buy something back, in the very simplistic sense. Does that make sense? Uh, Here's what Peter Lau says uh, as he continues. He says... God as Redeemer is a prominent theme in the Bible. Throughout Scripture, he is one, he, he is the one who redeems both individuals and the nation of Israel. God is presented as a redeemer in legal contexts, where he acts to vindicate and plead the case of a person's behalf. For example, Job 19:25 and Proverbs 23:11. He also redeems in the general sense of preserving or saving people from death during famine. For example, Job 5:20. God's redemption of individuals is a prominent theme in Psalms, where the psalmists pray for redemption or deliverance from a variety of circumstances, including enemies, oppression, violence, sheol, and death. And scripture attests that God redeems those who cannot help themselves, including the poor and the needy. So you get this idea that God is in this active work of buying back or redeeming or restoring, which I actually I think is a beautiful thought. Uh, Larry Richards, (coughs) in describing this idea of redemption, says it this way. In the Old Testament, a redeemer was someone who acted to free another person who was in bondage or danger. The Hebrew words expressing this concept were all ordinary words people use in daily life. One word, pada, refers to a purchase in which ownership was transferred from one person to another. Another word, gaal, means to play the part of a kinsman. This referred to the fact that the close kin had both the right and the obligation to help a relative out. While the emphasis in the ga'al is on the relationship, the idea of rushing to the aid of a person unable to help himself or herself is also implicit. A third word, koper, is is usually translated ransom. Its basic meaning is to atone by substituting a payment. For, For instance, each year, Israelite males were to place a shekel in the temple treasury as a symbolic payment for their life. This served as remembrance of how God spared the firstborn sons of, Israel, uh, of Israelite families when he struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians, see Exodus 30. Thus, redemption was a well-known and in many ways an ordinary concept in ancient Israel. One redeemed an item by buying it. One redeemed a relation by making a payment that released him or her from an obligation. And one acknowledged God's right to every Israelite by paying an annual ransom at the temple. So again, you just get this idea, it's, it's the buying back, or it's the purchasing, or it's a freeing up of something. And what's really neat is as you work through the Old Testament, uh, there are two clear demonstrations of this idea of God redeeming his people. One is the exodus, and the other is the exile. And so as you go into the exodus scene, right, that what is God doing? His people are in captivity to, uh, to Egypt, right? For 400 years. And what does he do? He redeems them. He buys them out of that slavery. And then you have the exile where Babylon has come in and he's, you know, they t- they've taken uh, Israel or sorry, Judah at that time off, uh, off to Babylon. And what does God do after 70 years? He really frees them and sets them free and brings them back. So with all that being said, look at a couple of verses here. Isaiah, just looking at the redemption of of God itself, in Isaiah 63, verse 16, Isaiah says this, You, O Yahweh, are our Father. Our Redeemer from everlasting is your name. Do you realize that one of our names of our God is that he is our Redeemer from everlasting? Meaning, from eternity past to eternity future, he is the Redeemer. So it's not that he became a Redeemer... Because of our need, he's always been a redeemer. And there's, he has a heart of a redeemer. He, he's always interested in redemption. He is a redemptive God. He's, he's always thinking from a redemptive perspective. Does that make any sense? And that's beautiful when you come to Jesus, because when you see Jesus interacting with all these individuals, do you realize that Jesus was always redemptive? And sometimes that meant, like the rich young ruler, he just let him walk away. And then sometimes that meant he aggressively went after people. But he was always redemptive. Why? Because that's his heart. Our God is a redeeming God. So looking at the Exodus scene, look at this. Exodus 15, verse 13. Moses says, In your loving kindness, or in your hesed, you have guided the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have led them to your holy habitation. Or in Deuteronomy 7, 8. But because Yahweh loved you and kept an oath, kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, Yahweh brought you out with a strong hand and he redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Or look at what Nehemiah says, speaking of this event in Exodus. Nehemiah says that they are your slaves, speaking of God, and your people whom you redeemed. And how did he redeem them? By your great power and by your strong hand. And I thought this commentator just said it really interestingly. Peter Lau said this, God's salvation of Israel from slavery in Egypt was the foundational act of redemption. God paid a price to release his people from bondage in the form of the 10 plagues against Egypt. The concept of God paying a ransom price in exchange for his people is also found in Isaiah 43, where the nations Egypt, Cush, and Seba are metaphorically paid as a price. And I thought that was interesting and this is one of those things I'm I'm still thinking through and trying to wrestle, is that the redemptive price to get Israel out of Egypt was his mighty works. And I've always said it was the blood of the Lamb, which is true. But it was the fullness of the miraculous works of the 10 plagues. It was by his strong arm, by his miraculous deeds, he brought them forth and he redeemed them, which is what those passages in Exodus 6, Deuteronomy 9, Nehemiah 1, and Psalm 77 declare. Which I just think is actually beautiful. Again, he's a redemptive God. Uh, Jeremiah says this, speaking of the Babylonian captivity and the fact that God is going to bring them back. He likens this to the Exodus scene. And listen to what Jeremiah 16, verse 14 and 15 says. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it will no longer be said, as Yahweh lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Yahweh lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands which he had banished them for I will return them to the land which I gave to their fathers. So Jeremiah is making this parallel with the exile to the exodus, saying, hey, just as God redeemed you in the exodus, and just as he brought you out of slavery to Egypt, guess what he's going to do now? He's going to bring you out of slavery to Babylon. And you see this redemptive work of God in these clear pictures in exodus and the exile. Is that making sense? Now, maybe the clearest scene of God being a redeemer in the Old Testament is in the book of Ruth. Love the book of Ruth. And we're not going to get into the book of Ruth because we don't have time. So settle down. But I want to look at this idea of the kinsman redeemer. It's this word, our word, goel. And what's interesting is when you look at the book of Ruth, and again, we're not going to get into the book of Ruth, but the whole book of Ruth is about redemption. And what you begin to see happening is here is Naomi who decides to go back to Bethlehem and she brings her daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her. And as they go back, you start hearing this word of redemption and redeem over and over and over. And it climaxes with Boaz being the kinsman redeemer who pays the price to, to really purchase back the land of Naomi. And then he even goes further and marries the Gentile Moabitess, Ruth. And so just as a thought, the word redeem or redeemer in the book of Ruth occurs 21 times. And there's, this is a significant theme in those four chapters of the book of Ruth. And what's really interesting is that it becomes a key to understanding Revelation chapter 5. In other words, as you come into Revelation chapter 5, which we're going to read uh, at the end, what you notice is that it's using this redemptive language. It's using the kinsman redeemer language. And Revelation 5 presumes you have a working understanding of the book of Ruth. Because the book of Ruth sets the tone and the foundation to understand: okay, what does this actually look like? What does the kinsman redeemer do? And you see that highlighted then in this incredible uh, majestic scene in Revelation chapter 5, where you're in this, where you're in the heavenly realm and you're seeing Jesus as the kinsman redeemer. Which then begs the question: Okay, what's a kinsman redeemer? And so here, here's the best way, I, uh, or the best best definition I found. Larry Richards says this: The Hebrew noun goel has an important specialized meaning in the Old Testament. Under the law, a near relative had certain privileges and obligations. One responsibility was to avenge murder. If a member of the Goel's family was murdered, in distinction from an accidental homicide, it was the duty of the Goel to do justice by putting the murderer to death. One of the privileges was that of redeeming a poor relative from slavery by paying his or her debt. The kinsman could even redeem a slavery's sole property by paying what the relative had given for the sale of the land. This explains why some English versions translate Goel not simply as kinsman, but rather as kinsman redeemer. The classic example of the kinsman redeemer in scripture is Boaz, who appears in the book of Ruth. Boaz was a close relative of Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth. Naomi and her husband had left Israel some years before the main account took place. When Naomi and Ruth returned to Israel, Boaz purchased or redeemed the family lands by marrying Ruth. This allowed their firstborn son to be counted in the line of Ruth's deceased husband, who was the rightful heir to the property. And he finishes by saying this, and just think of how beautiful this is in light of Jesus. The concept of a kinsman who was qualified to redeem a destitute relative and his or her property has theological implications for it anticipates the person and the work of Christ. In ancient Israel, only a near relative was qualified to redeem. Thus, Christ took on humanity so he might be our near kinsman. Also in the Old Testament times, Only someone who possessed the necessary resources could aid a destitute relative. Christ alone had the resources of an endless divine life to to pay the price of our sin. Thus, after being crucified on the cross, he rose from the dead to grant us not only forgiveness, but also eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Uh, Previously, when I looked at the kinsman redeemer stuff, uh, there are four key things that every kinsman redeemer had to have in order to be the kinsman redeemer. In other words, they had to be a near kinsman. They actually had to be a close relative. Two, they had to be able to perform the duties of the kinsman. In other words, they had to have the uh, the resource or, or the ability to do that. Three, they had to be willing to do that because they could say no, which is actually what you see in the book of Ruth, is the closer kinsman decides to say no, and therefore Boaz steps in and does it. And then number four, they must assume all of the obligations involved. In other words, they can't just do part of them. They have to fulfill all of them. So if, if I sold myself into slavery and I sold my land, right, as, as the kinsman, I can't just buy back the land. I have to redeem you as well. And so what's beautiful about this idea of the kinsman redeemer is that when you look at what an ancient kinsman redeemer had to do to be a kinsman redeemer, do you realize that Jesus did all of those things? That, that he was a near kinsman, that he was able to perform, he was desperately willing to perform, and he fulfilled all the obligations. And it's a beautiful picture of what our precious Jesus is able and willing to do. In fact, what he did in your life. So look at this idea. The fulfillment then of our redemption. So we have a serious problem. What is it? Sin. We have given ourselves as slaves unto sin. And so what do we need? We need redemption. So then what is the fulfillment of our redemption? Ah, it's Jesus. And what he did upon that cross. So what I want to do is I just want to have like a medley of a whole bunch of verses. Because I just want you to see how this theme is just replete throughout the New Testament. Highlighting the fact that the Redeemer are this everlasting Redeemer, right? The Redeemer from everlasting, as Isaiah says. Who our God is. That is his heart. He came in the flesh, Jesus. And he did the work of a kinsman Redeemer. He redeemed us. So I just, I just want to bring some New Testament verses and I just kind of want to kind of put them all together as like a little medley. So look at Mark ten forty five. Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Psalm 49 verse 15 says, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol for he will rescue me. And in other words, the psalmist says, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to redeem me from the power of death. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews then says in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Do you realize that Jesus as the Redeemer redeemed you from sin and from death? And from the fear of death, which is a beautiful thought. Romans 5, 8, Paul says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That here you are shaking your fist in God's face. And even though you rebelled and even though you chose sin, and even though you wanted your own way and you chose what you wanted, when you wanted, how you wanted, do you realize that as a redemptive heart, God says, I, 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 I've got to step in, that I've got to do something. And his redemption is not based on you and what you are going to do. It's not based on um, whether you clean up your mess or not. Do you realize that his redemption is in spite of your mess, in spite of your sin, in spite of your rebellion, he stepped in and rescues. He steps in and brings salvation, which I think is incredible because it's in the midst of me shaking my fist in his face that he says, "Ah, oh, I can redeem that. I can set you free from all that. Hey, I, I'm gonna buy you back from that, which is what he did. Look what he says in Ephesians. Paul Paul writes this: In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according, listen to this, according to the riches of his grace, which he had just lavished, he caused to abound in us in all wisdom and insight. Or as he says in Colossians 1:13 through 14 and verse 20. Jesus rescued us from the authority or the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And the writer of Hebrews picks this theme up and he says this in Hebrews 9, And not through the blood of goats and calves, But through his own blood, he entered the holy places once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And according to the law, one may almost say all things were cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There's a reason why Jesus had to shed his blood. Why? Because because the blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. And so what do you see God doing? Giving up his own life. Why? Because he wants to redeem you. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I already read Romans 3, 23, but listen to the context. In Romans 3, through 24 Paul writes, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, all have sinned fallen short of the glory of God. But then listen to this. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that his redemption, your justification, your salvation and forgiveness is a gift? That the redemption of Christ or the redemption through Christ Is a gift to you please contain your excitement Uh, paul says in titus that jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness or all sin and to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works do you realize he wants you he wants you as his own and so even though you have taken yourself and you've rebelled and you have sinned and you've put the shackles or, or the shackles have come upon you because of the sin and you're now the owner, uh, under the ownership of someone else, do you realize that what Jesus did as the Redeemer is bought you back? That he purchased you with his own life. Why? Because he wants you to be his possession. You are now adopted as heirs of the king. That you are now his inheritance and now he is your inheritance. And there's this beautiful idea that God is desperate for relationship. So what does he do? Everything. He fulfills all the obligations of the, of the Redeemer. Why? Because he wants you in relationship. Uh, 1 John 1.7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And do you know what the word all in Greek means? all do you realize that you are actually cleansed from all sin by the blood of Jesus that he doesn't cover some of them he doesn't cover the easy ones he covers all sin and so it does not matter how depraved it does not matter how dark it doesn't matter how twisted your life has been in the past do you realize that his blood is sufficient it is efficacious if you want a big term right it is able to perform it is able to cover And his blood, his work upon the cross has redeemed you, has brought you, bought you back from all sin. So you cannot look and say, well, you know, guys will be guys, not Christians. Well, Hey, we live in a, we live in a fearful society. And I, Hey, I'm always going to have anxiety and trepidation and fear, not Christians. Why? Because we're told that you're not to fear. And therefore, fear is sin. That when I walk in worry and anxiety, that's called sin. When I walk in lust, that's called sin. When I walk in pride, that's called sin. And do you realize he's freed us from all of that? That we no longer have to keep going back to our old chains. We no longer have to keep going back to our old masters. We no longer have to keep going back to our old giants. We no longer have to keep going back to those things that have always defined us. Why? Because we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, and he has set us free from sin. And his blood has covered all sin. Is that not phenomenal? Please stay seated. But that's amazing, folks. If you actually understood that your past doesn't have to define your future, that that your rebellion doesn't have to define your present, that you, that, that our precious Redeemer who gave himself at the cross spilled his blood to forgive you of all sin. Do you realize that that sin no longer has to define how you live from this point forward? That you can actually walk in freedom and re, and, 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 and triumph and life and joy and peace. And, and why would you not want that? Well, I like my old masters. They beat me every day. Why would you want that? Why wouldn't you want to walk in freedom? Why wouldn't you walk in peace and hope and joy and life and victory and triumph? And that in Christ Jesus, because of what he's done as the Redeemer, you are now more than conquerors in him. That there's no reason to fear. Why? Because he has promised that he's with you. That lust and pride and greed and selfishness and self-pity, none of that stuff has to push you around anymore. Why? Because you have a Redeemer who has bought you from all that stuff. And he's brought you into a new land. Yes, I was slave under Egypt. It's called sin. And yet because of his strong arm and because of his work upon the cross and because of his blood, I am set free from the power of sin so that I might live unto Christ Jesus, which is what Paul's whole argument in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is all about. That he is the better man that I'm now married to. That he has set me free. Why? To live as I am designed to live in him. Galatians 4.5 says this, that Jesus might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you realize that he has paid the price to set you free from that Egyptian slavery called sin so that you might walk in newness of life? Why? Because he wants you as his possession. He wants to adopt you in as an heir of himself. And I don't know if you recognize how mind-boggling the gospel is, that God's desire isn't just to, to forgive you of your sins. That Yeah, that's true. That's phenomenal. <clears throat> but he wants to forgive you of your sins so that then he can have a clean vessel through which he can now fill with his very presence. And now he's given you all the benefit he, he's adopted you as sons or daughters. He's made you heirs of, of the king of kings. He's given you freedom and redemption and hope and joy. Do you know how irrational it is for us to go back to sin? And, you know, it's like going, like a dog going back to its vomit. I get that. But for whatever reason, we're like, I really like it. I really like, for whatever reason, the, the master's beating me up every single day. Why do we do this? If we truly understood, we have a Redeemer. So I want you to grab a hold of this. Jesus is our Goel. He is our Redeemer. And He fully fulfills the work of the Redeemer. As a great summary, here's what one commentator said about just this whole work of redemption. The central theme of redemption in Scripture is that God has taken the initiative To act compassionately on behalf of those who are powerless to help themselves. The New Testament makes clear that divine redemption includes God's identification with humanity in its plight and securing of liberation of humanity through the obedience, suffering, death, and resurrection of the incarnate Son. Do you realize that He is able and willing to redeem? He is the Redeemer. As Psalm 19 verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. There's a phrase that's used over and over in the book of Isaiah, and it's this one. Do not fear, I will help you, declares Yahweh, and your redeemer, here's the phrase, your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. And it's like God is speaking to Israel in the time of Isaiah saying, do you recognize you have a redeemer? Uh, you have a redeemer. You have a redeemer. And can I remind us? We have a redeemer that we don't have to be lost in sin any longer. He has paid the price with his own precious blood to free you. So here's here's the Revelation five. Ready for this? As you come into Revelation chapter five, there's this great scene. Right. You have the the, the four winged or the, the, the four-faced creatures, right? The cherubim who are crying forth. You have this angelic host that, that's crying forth. And so you have this incredible scene where Jesus as the Lamb is being exposed as the Redeemer, as the kinsman redeemer. And listen to what this says in Revelation 5:9. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And there's this beautiful declaration of saying, do you realize that the fulfillment that, or the promise that God made Abraham in in Genesis chapter 12, that yes, Abraham, I'm choosing you as my people, but it's through you the entire world will be blessed and all the nations will know that I am Yahweh. Why? Through you. And what you see at the end is that here is people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation coming together. Why? They have been redeemed. That the promise has been fulfilled. That though God chose one particular people, it was through that one particular people, Israel, that all the world was going to find redemption. Right? Through Jesus. And what you see at the end is all of them standing in awe going, Whoa, look at the Lamb. He is the Redeemer. He purchased, listen to this, Purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Here's how the New King James says it. And they sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The ESV says, and they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you realize that's our God? That our precious Jesus is the purchaser. He is the redeemer. He's the ransomer. He's that kinsman redeemer, the Goel. I love what Psalm 130 says. Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8 says, O Israel, wait for Yahweh. For with Yahweh, get this, for with Yahweh there is loving kindness, there is Hesed. And with him is abundant redemption. And it is he who will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Do you realize that with our God, there is Hesed? There is great mercy. And there is abundant redemption. And what you see in the book of Hosea is that even though Gomer kept selling herself back into slavery, Hosea, because of his great love for that woman, kept redeeming her, kept buying her back. And God says, yep, that's me. That Hosea, now you know what I feel. That every time my people go off and prostitute and commit adultery and idolatry with the world, I I, I just, I can't stand it. And I I am so desperate for relationship with my people that I will go and as a redeemer, I will ransom them. I will buy them back. I will purchase the price and I will set them free out of that sin, out of that chain. Do you realize that is our God? Why? Because he is a God of loving kindness. He's a God of hesed, And he has an abundant amount of redemption. Now, we don't take advantage of that. But do you realize that if you find yourself in the mud, you have hope? As 1 John says, we have an advocate on our behalf. And that he is able to cleanse you from all sin. So would you embrace him? Look at what Job 19 verse 25 says. I love this passage. This is Job. This is like before the time of Abraham. This is way before Jesus. Listen to what Job says to the. Job says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. If Job could say that, how much more should we be able to say that? So all that being said, I want to come in and just, I want to read a couple passages from Psalm 78. Uh, Psalm 78 is a, uh, it's like a historic overview and, and the psalmist is basically walking through the history of Israel and basically saying, look at all the marvelous things that God has done for you. Look, look at all the incredible wonders that he has done on your behalf. And yet you kept living in sin, and he kept buying you back. And I want you just to hear this in light of all the stuff we're talking about. Again, it's a long psalm. We're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to just kind of pick out a few verses. But just listen to what the psalmist says about the history of Israel and what they did. In verse 12 and 13, the psalmist says that God did wonders. I think the New King James is the one that says marvelous things. That he did marvelous things. I love that phrase. But he did wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He split the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. So you have this idea that, wow, God did all these incredible things in the middle of of Israel. But then in verse 17, listen to this, yet they still continue to sin against him to rebel against the most high in the desert. And then they keep recounting some history and then they get into verse 35 and listen to this. And they remembered that God was their rock and that the most high God was their redeemer. Wow, they finally came to their senses. They realize, whoo, God is my Redeemer. And then it's really sad to me that a few verses later, in recounting history, this is what the psalmist says Again and again, they tested God and pained the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his miracles in the field of Zoan. Do you realize? There's these moments where they had where it's like, oh, yeah, he's my redeemer. And then the next moment, yeah, I don't know who he is. Can I exhort us to not be like the Israelites who saw these wondrous deeds and wondrous miraculous works and for these brief glimpses go, oh, he's my redeemer, he's my rock, and then go off and keep testing him by living in the same junk that he redeemed you from. And what's interesting is, as you work through the psalm, if you, if you have time, read all, all the verses, but what we're going to notice in Psalm 78 is that as the psalmist is working through the history, it's, it's actually rather bleak. Because more often than not, they kept going into sin rather than embrace the reality of the Redeemer. And as I look at the modern church today, I would say that's our problem. That God has done a miraculous work. On our behalf, he died upon the cross, folks. He purchased you from sin, and we have these moments, you know, like you know, church camp or that really great Sunday morning service, where it's like you you see with clarity the fullness of the of the redemption. You're like whoa, and you know you sing the songs, and you're and you you're just awestruck by the reality that he is my redeemer. He's he's freed me from sin and death. And then more often than not, we just go sliding back to our old junk. What would happen if we actually kept in the forefront of our hearts and our minds the fact that He is is my Redeemer? And as Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. See, what if that was the declaration of my soul every morning? What if I would begin to realize that in Jesus, sin has no authority in my life? That that He has purchased me, He has paid the price, He has giving me the, the papers that they're in my hand and I legally do not belong to sin and death. That there is no more wage that needs to be paid on my behalf. That he, 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 he paid that. That with his own precious blood, not like the blood of, of sheep and goats, but with his own blood, he redeemed and rescued me from all of that. I'm fairly confident that if somehow I could keep that in the forefront of my mind every day, I wouldn't want the junk because I wouldn't forget that He's my Redeemer, and I wouldn't forget that sin has no power. And I and I in the midst of that, the allurement because hey, sin has an alluring, has an alluring attraction to it for at least a brief moment, and in that brief moment, I would remind myself actually that doesn't satisfy, actually that just puts me in a noose. Uh, Actually, that just throws me in a prison cell. Actually, that causes me to be distracted from the reality of Christ and puts me in a stupor and I start walking in darkness again. Actually, I don't need this. Why? He set me free so that I no longer have to keep going back to the sin. That I'm actually free and redeemed from all sin would it be possible for us to start walking forward in the reality of what Christ has purchased? Is it actually possible for us to keep in the forefront of our mind the reality that He is sufficient? That as the kinsman redeemer, He did everything necessary to buy you with His own precious blood. And if we actually saw that, if we actually understood that, wouldn't that just cause us to live in a constant state of, whoa, wow? And we would just be continually worshiping with everything and every moment of our life. That our lives would be lives of worship. Why? Because we would understand what He did on our behalf. And we'd be awestruck by that reality. So can I encourage us to not forget the redemption of our Lord? And can I encourage us to not forget what He did to set us free from the power of sin and darkness? We... Have a redeemer who lives and he ever makes he lives to, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's standing on your behalf to free you from everything. This is great news, isn't it? Let's pray. Our Lord we thank you that you are our redeemer. That in you we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to the wonder of your grace which you just lavished upon us. That that you transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, that domain and authority of darkness, and you brought us into the kingdom of the dear Son. Lord, what an incredible opportunity we have as Christians not to live in sin. And yeah, Lord, we understand that you're going to continue to sanctify our lives day by day by day. But wow, the fact that I I never have to shake my fist in rebellion in your face again. That that, that I never have to live live in my own propensity, live in my own selfishness, live in my own lust, live in my own pride and fear and greed and self-pity or self-whatever. Lord, that you've actually freed us from all sin. And that in you, we are more than conquerors. And we can live triumphant lives in you. Lord, we live in dark days. Uh, we, we live at a time where the word is being quelched and the reality of, of, of the Christian life is just being uh, is, is thrown to a, a passive backseat. Lord, what we need in this generation is men and women of God who live the reality of the word. Uh, What we need is people who understand that You are a Redeemer who lives and we don't have to be pushed around by the junk of this world. Lord, I pray that You would, through the preciousness of Your Spirit, would You bring to conviction anything in our lives that we are holding on to, that we just keep falling back into, and we need redemption from. Lord, will you let us realize that that you have already paid the price with the precious blood on the cross to set us free from any and every act of sin and darkness. Lord, there is no evil so great, there is no twistedness so twisted or perverted that you can't set us free because you are our Redeemer. You are the Goel, that kinsman redeemer that is so desperate for relationship and restoration that you redeemed, you restored, you bought back, you purchased. Lord, don't let us take that for granted. And Lord, could you somehow do something in our lives in this generation that showcases the wonder of who you are. And that when the world sees our lives, they see such a redemptive work of what you were you have done but what you are doing in our lives that they are just they crave that which we have so lord i pray that second corinthians five seventeen would be the reality of our souls that in you old things have passed away in you new things have come and we are new creatures new creations in christ jesus lord may the world behold you and your redemptive work in and through us and may that redemptive reality just oh, be such a craving in their souls that they would yearn to have you as their Redeemer. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we do want to worship. We do, we do just want to stand in awe of who you are and what you've done and what you are doing. And we just want to give you the praise. We love you, Jesus. your precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.